Midlothian. Would you help me welcome Scott's edition? Happy First Wednesday, everybody. And come on, let's welcome Chapel in the lobby. Love you guys and everybody online. Welcome to the chapel. And uh, if you're new with us uh, this first Wednesday, first Wednesday, we say the worship is a little longer. The teaching's a little deeper. We take the seatbelt off a little. And how many just sense the, I mean, what kind of worship was that? How many sense the presence of God here tonight, right? Like it's a sense of God visiting with his people. And what a special season we're in, in the life of our church. And, and I mean, just, I mean, just amazing what God did in 21 days of prayer and just a sense that God has come to meet with his people. And I have a message from God's word, I hope for us tonight. But if you're comfortable, would you just hold your hand over your chest tonight? And let me just pray for us. God, speak to us through your word. May every mind be focused, every heart uh, attentive to what you would say to us. God, we honor your word tonight. You said you honor your word above your name. So your word's a lamp unto our feet light to our path and God we ask you to speak to us in Jesus name and everybody said together amen Amen. well happy first Wednesday glad you're here Uh, this is February how many know it's Valentine's Day this month come on you know that right so we always do a series on relationships I'm gonna tell you about that um, that tonight but I want to look in the camera and say love you Scott's edition I love what God's doing in the city in the chapel what God's doing in our down uh, our Scott's edition campus you know this fall they went from one service to two service have been having some of the great attendance Sundays there and we love the team there pray for you every day and uh, just thankful for what God's doing in our church I want you to know tonight before we get into God's word I love you I pray for you every day your team loves you here in this church and how many are just thankful to be a part of a New Testament church? I kind of have that feeling, just overwhelmed with gratitude. And I was uh, 15 years old when I decided I had a crush on a girl who was, I was a sophomore in high school and she was a junior and her name was Katie. Okay. So you know how the story ended. I, I won, but I was real shy. You've heard me tell that story. And, uh, real shy and I wanted to ask her out and my friends knew I liked her and they actually gave me an ultimatum one day they said if you don't ask her out by the end of today we're going to ask her out for you so I knew that was a bad problem so the whole day I'm trying to trying to work up the nerve I'm just so nervous and shy and I never really had a girl I mean well I had a couple girl. well you know what I mean a couple but none really none like her uh and uh she's here tonight and uh uh, so I'm trying to like get the nerve. Finally, I, my, my friend Mike, he's dating a girl named Doreen and we're going to double date with them. So she's friends with Doreen. So I thought that worked. And so I went to her locker and I said, hey, on Friday night, do you want to watch a movie after the basketball game with Mike? And, and I blanked on Doreen's name and I just stood there and stared at her. She said, Doreen. And I said, yeah, Doreen. And she said, sure. And I said, okay. And I just walked away and I thought, just, she said, yes. So kind of get out with, with the yes. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm, the Friday night comes and it's after a basketball game and we're watching uh, a movie at my friend's house and we're watching A Few Good Men. Come on, you can't handle the truth. And so it's a great movie. 
And, uh, and so it's after a basketball game. So we're sitting there, my, my friend, Mike, his mom, Terry's a great lady, but we're sitting at kind of the kitchen table right outside the bathroom. And we just got done playing a basketball game. I was a basketball player. She was a cheerleader. And so my friend got done with the shower and then it was my turn. I went in the bathroom. The bathroom's maybe like 15 feet from the kitchen. And as I, as I get out of the, uh, the shower, I was not used to a tub shower. So I got to give you some context. I grew up in a house with a, with a stall shower. And so I was stepping up over the, the, the tub and my heel found the one little pool of water on the floor. And it just, just went like that. And my instincts told me to grab a hold of the shower curtain and, uh, and it wouldn't hold me. And so I tore the thing out of the wall and I'm just come crashing down in the bathroom and the shower curtain comes slamming on me. I can see the two holes for where it's pulled the, the little nails out of the, uh, out of the, Wall and my, my friend's mom, Terry, is banging on the door going, oh my, what is happening? Are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. I just sort of fell in here and it's no big deal. We can repair it, I'm sure. And, and I realized I don't have a towel. I stand up, I don't have a towel. So I, I should have just dried off with my dirty clothes, but I was like yelling to my friend, Mike, I don't have a towel. And he's like, open the door and I'll slip one into you. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to open the knob. You had, so I'm trying to do it. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, I can't, this thing is jammed. I'm locked in here. So he, this is not a lie. You can ask him. He's a pastor in New York. He'll tell you. And uh, he gets a screwdriver and pops the lock and hands me a towel. I'm just so embarrassed. And so I'm, we're sitting out at the kitchen table and and I'm just so nervous. I don't want to look at Katie. This is our first date. And I did that thing in the shower. And that's weird. And Terry, my friend's mom, is mad. And, and they have this wicker placemats. And, uh, and so I'm fidgeting with the placemat. And I just rip it in half. So I'm awkwardly leaning over this, trying to cover up this placemat. Like, put the vibe out or something. And... Uh, I remember the whole night goes by. I barely say a word. She leaves. And so I, I asked my friend, I said, call her and find out how she liked the date. <laughs> so he calls her and I'm waiting for him to call me back. He doesn't call me back. So I call him and he clicks over. This is the day in call waiting. He clicks over and he's on the other line. I said, how's it going? And, and she, she had told him, you know, Brandon, I, I don't think I'm into him. He's kind of weird. The, the whole bathroom thing. And uh, I didn't really say anything to me. So my friend clicks over and he doesn't want to hurt my feelings. So I'm like, what'd she say? What'd she say? What'd she say? And so he doesn't want to lie to me, but he doesn't want to hurt my feelings. So he just says these words that changed my life. You're golden. Because <laughs> he doesn't want to lie to me. But, and I literally thought, I'm golden? And that one, those words gave me the confidence to just next, you know, Monday in school, I'm like, I'm golden, you know, so I'm kind of pursuing her and she's got a mercy gift and I kind of never, never stayed away. And come on, somebody, how many know perseverance wins the day? So perseverance wins the day. So we start a book of the Bible uh, this month because it's Valentine's Day month and talking about relationships. I want to talk to you about bad dates and and roommates and soulmates, okay? Is that okay? And uh, I want to talk to you about what the Bible has to say about relationships. And I want to get us kicked off uh, this first Wednesday because I really, I just want to share with you a burden in my heart. I believe the culture, I want you to hear me just from my heart. I believe one of the key ways the culture is trying to attack the church is to go after the family. I just really believe that. And 
And I believe they're trying to take God's good plan and his good purpose and God's good design and distort it. And, and, and I want to spend a whole month in the book of Ruth, four chapters. It's, a, it's the eighth book of the, of the Old Testament. It's, it's about, written about 1200 BC. It's just this little love story where Ruth meets a guy named Boaz. Come on, somebody say Boaz. Come on. Boaz is a man's man, a dude's dude. I mean, he's got chest, he's got the whole thing, chest hair and, you know, the whole, you know, and, and, and we're going to learn what God has to say. How many know God has something to say about relationships because he designed them, right? And I think the world is saying the church ought to stay out of this. And so you could even say this week, uh, this, this uh, first Wednesday, pastor, are you going to get political in this series? I don't think I'm going to get political, but I do think I'm going to talk about what God created, which is male and female. God created marriage. God created the home. God created the family. And he has a purpose. And I'm not trying to pick a fight. And I'm not trying to single out one group. I'm just saying that everything. Listen, a nation rises no higher than the building block of the nation, which is the home. And, and a church rises no higher than the building block of the church, which is a marriage, you know. I mean, and, and a family and a community. And when Satan takes his aim to try to destroy the family, it's not to give us more options. It's to destroy God's good purpose. And so I just feel a burden in my heart. I feel like sort of I got all my bullets in my gun. Come on, I'm going to shoot him. And, 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 and just how many want to know what God has to say about the family, right? So that's what we're going to do for the month of February, all month. It's, it's love month. It's Valentine's month. And I think people have taught that, that love is an emotion. Love is a feeling. And if you feel it, you ought to act on it. And I just want to say God has created some design and some purpose and some intention. And so, so all right, so let's dive in. You ready? You ready? Okay, here. So I'm going to, this is first Wednesday. So can we go just a little bit, a little bit? deeper. Is that okay? So Ruth 1.1 sets us up for Ruth. Ruth is a Moabitess, by the way, which means she's not from the people of God. And by the way, I'll just spoil it. Ruth ends up being the super great grandmother of Jesus. So let me just point and say this. God takes a woman from Moab, which was a disgraced uh, 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 nationality, and God uses... How many know God can use whoever he wants for his purpose? And so, all right, that's, that, that's three weeks. But in the days... Here's the setting of Ruth. It happened in the days when the judges ruled there was a famine in the land. So the context about 1200 BC is the time of judges. Now there's a whole book of the Bible named Judges, okay? It is like the serial killer book of the Bible. Come on, where are the weird people that you like to watch? My wife is always listening to podcasts about serial killers. Listen, I'm just letting you in on something tonight. If I come up missing, she did it because she has spent her life perfecting how to make a body disappear. So I'm just saying, can I get a witness, right? It's on video. We all know it. Okay. Come on, where are the weird crime drama people? Just raise your... You'd love the book of Judges. This one guy ticked another guy off, so he chopped him up in pieces and mailed him around town. Come on. How many know Netflix has nothing on the Bible? Okay. Let me tell you what Judges was. It was this dark season of life. It was this, it was this, uh, in fact, the Bible says here was the theme of the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Let me just pause for a second. They didn't have an earthly king, but they were designed to have a heavenly king. But because they didn't have an earthly king like the nations around them, the Bible gives us this sad commentary. And I wonder if it's true in our culture tonight that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So if you think it's okay, it's okay. How much is this 
the, the message of our culture today. How do you feel? What, what do you, what, what makes you, how do you feel? What do you decide? Everyone gets to decide what's right for them and wrong for them or right for you. What's right for you might not be right for me. What's right for me might not be. Listen, we shouldn't judge. We shouldn't. And the Bible teaches that this is a sign of a decadent culture that instead of having standards and normalities and building blocks to build upon, everyone gets to create their own rules. And so I'm not here, hear my heart, I'm not here to throw stones at the world. I'm just telling you that this results in anarchy and chaos and brokenness because when we begin to define our decisions on our own life, that the Bible says in Proverbs, there is a way that seems right into a man and in the end it leads to destruction, right? How many know if you don't believe in gravity that won't change anything if you step off a bridge? And you can say the whole way, I just don't believe in it. Well. That's fine, but you probably only say it once. Boom. So, so, so the culture, and this is what we're going to see in the book of Ruth, that God has a plan for a relationships and marriage in the middle of a culture that would just leave us splintered and chaotic. I don't want anyone to hear me wrong because people say, well, is the chapel just against certain groups? That's not our heart. But we, we're a Bible-believing church that believes God has a design and a purpose behind human relationships, right? Am I in the right church tonight? I hope I'm in the right church tonight. So that's the context. And the Bible tells us that there's a man from Bethlehem in Judah together with his wife and two sons who went to live for a little while in the country of Moab. Somebody say boo. Come on, boo. So this is what happens. God tells his people... To, to be planted in the land of promise that he's going to provide for them. But because there's a famine, this man named Elimelech, which literally means my God is king. He, instead of staying in the land and trusting God, he flees the land and, and makes his own path and purpose for his own life. In fact, it's really remarkable that Elimelech is his name. He literally means my God is the king. And yet when he's forced in a famine, in a season of famine, instead of following God, he follows, he makes, uh, he cuts, uh, he makes a shortcut. He does things his own way. And I think this is so true in our lives that we're tempted to follow the ways of the culture around us, Okay. Let me just say this, this week, uh, this, it's not this week and it's first Wednesday. We have to decide whether or not we are the master of our own fate or whether or not we're going to bow ourselves under the rule and lordship of God. And when we bow and rule under the rule and lordship of God, his word, his principles, his truth drive us. And the interesting thing to me is that this man, Elimelech, and his family literally are living in Bethlehem, which literally means the house of bread. Okay, Bethlehem is the original Panera. Come on, somebody. Can I get an amen? Okay, this is, this is, this is, I mean, like house of bread, and yet there's a famine in a house of bread. It's interesting to me. And yet instead of staying and trusting God, they flee and do things their own way. And I think that's a challenge for all of us in our own lives to do the things that we think are best or to trust God in the moments of challenge in life. And so he flees 40 miles from Bethlehem, Elimelech does, uh, to, to Moab. And let me show you, Moab, it, it's from uh, Lot's ancestry. It's a, it's a godless 
people. In fact, Deuteronomy tells them no Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants can enter the assembly of the Lord, not even to the 10th generation. How many know this means, how many know this is a strong verse? Come on. When your mom says he can't come over, that's one thing. But when she says, I don't even want his 10th generation over, how many know that's a bad thing, right? And that's God saying, don't associate with those people. And yet in an amazing moment, uh, Elimelech flees in a moment of famine and he tries to cut corners. He tries to get things his own way. He tries to write his own future and he moves into the land of Moab. And we don't have time to look at it, but all of life falls out for Elimelech. His, his wife's name is Naomi and, and his sons. So literally Elimelech and his two sons all pass away in Moab. You can read it, Ruth 1, 4 to 10, just disaster after heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak. In fact, Naomi, who is Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi is then left with two, two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. Not, it's Oprah with the P and the R swapped, okay? So Naomi and Ruth and Orpah, and she's experienced so much heartache and so much loss that Naomi literally begins to describe it herself this way. She says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. She says, call me Mara because the Almighty has taken my life and made it bitter. She says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty, okay? Literally, Naomi, the name pleasant, says, call me Mara, the name bitter. She allows her own experience in life to make her bitter. In fact, it's probably her husband's poor decisions that have cost his life and his son's life. But in this moment, all she can see is the pain and the heartache and the loss of her own life. And it turns her, it turns her into bitterness. And how many know in life we have choices when we face disappointment of whether or not we will blame God and get angry at God and become bitter or whether or not we'll trust him in the middle of suffering, right? And that Naomi does the opposite. She says, her name means pleasant. And so anytime anyone calls her Naomi, she goes, nah, don't you call me pleasant. I'm bitter. Mara, bitter, 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 bitter. This is the temptation in our life. When disappointment hits, bitterness is our temptation. And that's what I see here. Naomi experiences the, the pain of life and bitterness sets her into chaos. I remember as a kid that my grandmother and grandfather got divorced. And, and I remember for a while as a kid, we would have two sets of birthday parties. I didn't understand it as a kid. Like the whole family would come over for my birthday party on Saturday. And then the whole family with my grandma. And then the whole family would come over on Sunday with my grandpa. And I was sort of like, mom, it feels like a lot of things. And she was like, oh, we can't, we can't have one party with both your grandpa and grandma here. They, they'll, they'll kill each other. Or I remember my, my grandmother, I remember one year my mom just got sick of it. And so she sent out the birthday invitation to the whole family, except there was only going to be one party. I'll never forget my aunt saying to my mom, you can't do that. It's going to be bad. And my mom was like, well, whoever comes, comes, you know. And something amazing began to happen in my family. And that as God began to bring healing and, 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 and uh, uh, bridge a divide. In fact, when my grandfather passed away, my grandmother and my grandfather's new wife became best friends. I didn't understand the whole thing. But I know this, something changed on the face of my grandmother when she let go of bitterness and disappointment. She chose to forgive. I mean, no, Jesus says, forgive us our trespasses, even as we what? Forgive those who what? Trespass. How many know forgiveness doesn't, set some, doesn't make what someone else did to us right? It sets us free, doesn't it? 
That's what forgiveness does. Unforgiveness is holding on to bitterness. Bitterness is letting someone live rent-free in the house of our mind, right? Unforgiveness is the poison we drink while we wait for the other person to die, right? Unforgiveness is lighting myself on fire and hoping the smoke will kill the other person, right? But how many know forgiveness is when I realize that all my sins have been forgiven through Jesus Christ. And so even though I've been wronged, it doesn't mean that I trust someone again. It doesn't even mean that I sanction what they did. It just means that I set them free. Somebody said unforgiveness is when you set someone free and that person you're setting free is yourself, right? And Naomi doesn't do this. She's living angry. She's living frustrated. She's living bitter. She lets the disappointment in her life, the disappointment in her circumstances. In fact, she eventually blames God. She says, God did it to me. And and listen, who of us hasn't had a, a circumstance in life happen that we haven't wondered why God allowed that, right? Can we just be big enough to admit that once in a while, God moves in a way we don't understand? Anybody, right? But that's what Naomi, Naomi accuses God of not, of not being faithful and accuses God of, of hurting her. And all I'm simply saying this is if there's a big enough God to, to be the creator of the world, then he's big enough to work in ways we don't completely understand, right? And that means for some of the things we'll never understand and to heaven why he allowed it. Come on, somebody. Why Alabama wasn't in the college football playoff this year. <laughs> Only heaven will reveal that, right? But what I'm saying here is Naomi, with a temptation in her disappointment, is to allow the bitterness to turn her heart and, and the chaos that ensued because her family went and did things God's way. It's not God's way, but the world's way. They trusted instead of in Bethlehem, the house of bread, they t- trusted in Moab, the house of compromise, right? And because of that, Elimelech's life was lost and his children's life were lost. And let me just say this for a second. Parents, the decisions we make uh, uh, relationally with one another and the decisions we make in serving God have an effect on our children. And, and, and Elimelech, because he fled Bethlehem and went to Moab, it cost his sons his life. And I'm telling you, a generation relies upon people in the chapel, moms and dads, aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas, who faithfully serve Jesus Christ. Come on. I remember as a kid, we would have people, uh, our church lived right across, our church was right across the street from Maury's Mill, a donut shop. And I remember one family asking why their kids didn't serve Jesus, but they dropped their kids off to church and went to a donut shop. I have a reason maybe they didn't serve because mom and dad ate donuts and didn't go to church. How many know as moms and dads, I'm preaching to myself, we need to faithfully model what it looks like to be followers of Jesus, right? And Naomi missed that, and Elimelech missed that, and the chaos ensued in their life. But it's amazing because after they lost uh, Malon, Killian, and Elimelech, these are the three men, after they passed away, it's amazing to me at the very end of Ruth chapter 1, the Bible says, so Naomi, come on, say this word with me, Naomi what? Come on, return. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. You have no idea how big this is. Unless you've read Ruth chapter 2, then you know how big it is in chapter 3. Because I got to tell you, this is so good. Okay, they're starving to death. 
And Naomi doesn't know what to do, except the only thing she knows to do is to return to the place of the people of God. How many know sometimes in life when you don't know how to fix everything in your life, you can at least go back to the place where the presence of God and the people of God and the word of God was. And when she returns, it's so amazing because there had been a famine in the land and the Bible says the barley harvest began. And this is amazing what's gonna happen because it's gonna be so incredible. We'll see it uh, this weekend. We'll see both, Ruth's gonna go glean wheat in a field and the crops are gonna be bursting and it's gonna happen to be one of their one of their family members, Boaz, who's gonna happen to be really rich and happen to be really generous and happen to be really kind and happen to be really single. Can I get a whoop whoop? And in the middle of that, all of a sudden, Boaz is gonna be kind to Ruth and he's gonna tell his servants, leave a little extra grain on the, gr- on the ground and Ruth's gonna scoop up a bunch of grain and when she gets home, Naomi's gonna be like, you got a lot of grain. Somebody gave you that grain. She's like, you know he did. And, and all of a sudden, <laughs> Naomi's going to tell Ruth in chapter three, it's kind of weird. She says, take a shower and put on perfume. I think that's, how many know that's wisdom for dating? Come on, smell good and go down and, and see if he's single. And all of a sudden, Boaz protects his reputa- her reputation. He, nothing happens improperly, but he all of a sudden walks through the courtship and a romance. And there's a, another problem because somebody else has first dibs on him or his kinsman redeemer. We'll explain that this weekend. But that guy lets it go. And then Boaz marries her. And then this woman who hasn't been able to have a kid for 10 years, ooh, she gets pregnant and guess and here's what I'm saying to you all Naomi knew in this moment was her life was falling apart I better return to the place of God here I want you to know this this weekend when you've lost your way and you don't know the end from the beginning or how to fix it all just return to the place where, where God is In fact, it's the theme of Ruth, Ruth chapter one. I don't even have time to read it. Return, 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 over and over again. Here's what they're saying, literally. It's a picture of repentance, returning to the place God has for us. Some of us in this room or in Scott's edition, you've tried things your own way for a little while and you wanna know the full end of how to fix it all. I don't know the full end of how to fix it all, but I know this, if you'll just go back to the people of God in the presence of God under the authority of the word of God, God will start to let the barley plants grow again and he knows who your Boaz is. Come on, right? He knows how to work out the details. He knows, but it starts with returning to the people of God, the place of God, the house of God, the presence. It starts by putting ourselves in the proximity of what it's returning again, right? It's that prodigal son who said, even my, my dad's servants eat better than this. So I'll go back and I'll, and I'll be willing to be a servant. And what does the Bible say? And the prodigal fa- the father saw the son a long way off. And he did something no Jewish man would ever do in the first century culture. He ran to meet his son. In fact, they would wear a long tunic, which means he, he hiked up his tunic and would tuck it into his belt. And for a Jewish man in ancient culture, they would never show their bare legs. Like, like some of you, you should never do that, you know? But this father broke all propriety rules of what a Jewish distinguished estate holder would do. He said, I don't care. And he tucked his belt, his tunic in his robe. Everyone saw his pale legs. And he said, I know you're not supposed to see my legs and I know I'm not supposed to run in public, but I don't really care because that looks like my son in the distance who was lost. 
And he runs to the son. And don't you love it? The son starts his speech. I'm no longer to be worthy. He called your, your son. And what does the father say? I love what the father says. Shut up. He says to his servant, kill the fatted calf. Get a ring. Put a robe on his shoulder. Because this son of mine who's lost has been found. He actually says something even stronger. This son of mine who's dead is now How many know our job's to return to God? God's job's to work it all out. All we know at the end of Ruth 1 is that Naomi's bitter and she's angry and she's done things her own way and she thinks to herself, maybe I need to get out of Moab and just get myself back to the place I belong. All she does is get herself to the place she belongs. And God works it all out. I'm pleading with us tonight, chapel, to be reminded. Our job's not to work it all out. Our job's to just get in the place when we're under the authority of the one who can work it all out. You're single and you say, I want a Boaz. Boaz, come on, I want a Boaz, you know. Boaz, you know. God knows where Boaz is. And by the way, when you try to find Boaz, that's usually a problem. How many know what I'm talking about, right? You say, well, he's not Boaz, but he's, you know, you know, you know. My mom don't like him. My grandma don't like him. But I see something in him. Well, so do they. Your job's not to work it out. Your job's just to put yourself under the authority of what. And I love, I just love, I just love those Words. I love those words. Where are they? Where are they? All the way back here. They got back as the barley harvest was the, the, the grain was just starting to grow. And little did Naomi know or Ruth know that everything in their life was going to be changed. Let me show you one more thing. You got one more minute? Is that okay? Let me show Because because Ruth is meant to be read all in one sitting. And if you only read Ruth one, you got a three widows unemployed, in a famine, running out of money. Two of them are Moabites living in a foreign land. But what you don't know is at the end, God's going to work it all out. Hey, God sent me with a message this first Wednesday. In the end, God's going to work it all out. Our job's not to work it all out. It's just to return to the place where we're under his authority and his care. And so I just felt like I wanted to share this with us tonight. God's promise is that his redemption exceeds the scope of our loss. Ruth, I want you to see this. Ruth, who's the widow, she has been married for 10 years before her husband dies. This means that Ruth, by all earthly um, rationale, Ruth is unable to give birth to a child. So not only is she a widow, but in the ancient world, a lot of commerce, security, name recognition, the on per- perpetuity of your uh, last name. All those things hinged upon the ability to give birth to a child. And Ruth is 10 years a widow. And all of a sudden, though, she bumps into Boaz. And God does amazing things. We'll show it. We'll give some. <laughs> by the way, over the next few weeks, we'll give some dating advice. Would that be okay? From the Bible. I think we need some a dating advice in the world we live in. So you're going to get some whether you like it or not. And... Uh, 
Come on, just turn the person next to you and tell them, I'll take a little dating advice. I mean, if you're single, not if you're, some of you I saw married, I didn't mean you. Turn the person next to you and tell them, I'm sorry about that. Now turn to the other person next to you and just tell them we're not that kind of church. Come on, just tell them that. So Ruth, I just want to, I want to sneak ahead for a second and show you this. There's a lot to unpack, but when Boaz and Ruth got married, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, can I get an amen? amen. Come on, application, first Wednesday. I mean, no, first Wednesday is where the preaching is, when he made love to her. By the way, God created sex. And Satan's tried to counterfeit it. And so we'll talk about sex too. But uh, when he made love to her, I love this, the Lord enabled her to conceive. And the woman who 10 years was barren gave birth to a son. Why? Because God was going to redeem the brokenness and the pain of Ruth, the Moabite, nobody from the back hills of nowhere who'd lost her husband, lost her fortune, had financial uncertainty. How many know God is in the middle of, of, of the business of taking us in all of our brokenness and redeeming our pain for his purpose? In fact, it's amazing. I don't have time to show you this, but in Ruth chapter one, it tells us for 10 years, uh, Ruth is barren. And at the end of the book of Ruth, it says, this is so good. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram from VCU. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Are you getting this? Come on. And, 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 and Boaz, the father of Obed. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. And by the way, in the long run, David, the father of King Jesus. Okay. But here's, do you see what's so amazing about this? That Ruth, in Ruth 1, it describes Ruth as 10 years barren. And in the very last um, verses of the book of Ruth, not only does it show that she had been 10 years barren, but the author lists 10 generations that came from her family. It's as if the author is shouting at us from scripture. God sees the years of brokenness. And he redeems and he restores and he brings a future and a hope to those things. He says, you see the 10 years and he just lists, he lists Ruth's grandparent, great, grandparent, all the way to King David. Come on, King David. In fact, it's amazing at the very end of the book of Ruth, Naomi, who's the mother-in-law, it's kind of a sweet moment. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. Look at this grandma. And the woman living in the town of Bethlehem said this of Naomi. Naomi has a son. Now, pardon me. She's the grandma. But here's what they're trying to say. They're trying to show that Naomi who had lost. You remember Naomi chapter one? Don't call me Naomi pleasant. Call me Mara bitter. Chapter one is Naomi alone, widowed, impoverished, desolate with nothing and she ends the book of Ruth at baby's RS come on somebody <laughs> bouncing this little baby and people are like is he your grandson well, maybe my son I looked that young you know what I mean like 
but it's a picture of the human author saying, saying to us, God has redeemed the pain of Naomi and God has given her a new start. She's no, in fact, the, the, the human authors will literally say she went away earlier in the book. She says, I went away full and I came back empty, but she ends the book full because God is in the business of giving us hope. And on top of it all, he's the father of Jesse, the father of who? King David. And then if you were to turn over in your Bible to Matthew chapter one, and you want to read the list of names that are leading up to Jesus Christ, guess who's, guess who's going to be in it? Ruth. Why? Because God is a redeemer. In fact, the, the religions of the world say it's our own uh, work and effort that earn our relationship to God. But it's only Christianity that says we have a redeemer, Christ Jesus, who died on the cross in our place for our sin to give us a new start. And the book begins with weeping and pain and brokenness and it ends with blessing and generations changed and a future and a hope and I just felt like God sent me here this first Wednesday to tell some people that maybe you've walked in and you wonder if it's too long or you messed up too much or things didn't turn out the way you're hoping and you wonder what can be and God's saying to you the short amount of time that you suffer you don't even know how much more God is going to take the like the Joel the prophet says God is going to take the, the the years that the that the locust has eaten he's going to multiply them he's going to bless them he's going to redeem how many believe that God can take things in our life and and redeem them and the latter years can be greater than the former years and the future can be greater than the past and the blessing can be greater than the pain and the message of Christianity isn't that we isn't even that we did something Ruth the story of Ruth this would be almost shocking for a Jewish man in the in the in 1200 BC to have the name of a book be a Moabitess from nowhere but I'm here to just tell you God uses people from nowhere nowhere that are nobodies to do something for his glory and his purpose and his plan. And what begins in emptiness, barrenness, pain, and loss ends in blessing beyond anything we can, we can imagine. And that's what, I'm, that's what I'm trying to tell us tonight. It's not just that God redeems our pain and makes it right. It's that the redemption so far exceeds the pain that it drowns out the echo of our disappointment and our pain and our loss. The redemption is so much bigger in comparison to what we lost that in its scope that it just reveals to us we have a good father. And the enemy's here this week trying to tell some people, no, 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 life didn't turn out the way you wanted, things didn't happen the way you wanted, this relationship, this circumstance, this job, and he's trying to tell us that something can't, no, 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 and God's here to say, no, 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 I'm the God who takes the, the barren and gives them blessing. I'm the God who takes the nobody and makes them somebody. I'm the God, you can't see it in chapter one, you only see pain and a couple little plants of barley growing, but you don't know that Boaz, with all of his chest hairs, about to walk in, come on. And he's about to marry you and you're going to have a baby. And eventually you're going to be the great grandma of Jesus. I mean, imagine Ruth in heaven going, so I'm just, I, didn't, I, I didn't know. You're the great, 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 great grandma of Jesus? Well, I just, there was a point in life it didn't look that way. There's a point in life, 10 years and no baby. Then my husband dies. I took a chance to follow my mother-in-law. By the way, Naomi's got poor wisdom. You know, I followed my mother-in-law. She was pretty bitter, angry. But God worked some things out in my life 
then, oh, aren't you thankful he works things out in our life for redemption and grace and grace and grace and grace. the end of my dad's life, he uh, shared part of um, some struggles he had had earlier in his life that I never knew about. I'd walked through all kinds of things. I knew my parents weren't perfect, but when he passed away, I was processing all of that. And it was a season, if I'm totally vulnerable with you, I shared it with one or two people in this church that I just felt Strange, like I didn't understand some things and confused. And I had a moment in my life, I felt like a pity project at my home church. I, felt, I went through all these things. And it took the grace of God healing my heart from that to say, no, no, no. God redeems pain. You don't have to come from the right place with the right pedigree for God to use you. I just feel like God wants to say to some people here tonight, He redeems past pain. He wipes away sin. He gives a brand new start. And what was 10 years of barrenness can be followed up with 10 generations of blessing. But for some, it's just a call to return. It's not a calling to figure it out. It's just a calling to return to the place where God is and let God work it out for us. So Father, would you work it out for us? And I pray over every person in the sound of my voice tonight, God. Maybe having walked through pain or walked through disappointment, walked through heartache, and you're saying tonight that you're the God who's the redeemer. You're the God who's the restorer. You're the God who took a couple of women whose lives have fallen apart and you blessed them beyond measure. You took bitter and you made sweet. You took barren and you made blessed. I pray that over every heart, every life, every circumstance, every person. We love you, Jesus. We're here to return to you. In fact, the word return means simply to turn again. And in the Bible, the word to turn means to repent. So here's how we're going to close in prayer tonight. I felt like God wanted to call us to repentance. and I know you maybe heard that word and it sounds like a doomsday word, a negative word, a red-faced preacher word. But repentance is simply saying, God, I'm turning away from the world and I'm turning again to you. I wonder if there's some people here tonight that would say, I'll repent again. I'm turning again to him. Come on, all over this room. Would you stand in the lobby? Would you stand? Scott's edition, would you stand? Would you hold your hands like this all over this room? So God, we turn to you. Just tell him that, God, we turn to you. We return, oh God. Some of us not doing things your way and your purpose, your plan. Pray for repentance tonight, oh God. He said if we turn to you, we'd repent you'd give us grace and mercy so God with hands lifted not because we're good enough but because you're a redeemer you're a restorer oh God (laughs) 
God, you're speaking to hearts that feel like, no, for years this hasn't happened, or for years this happened, hasn't happened. The enemy, the accuser, speaking some things, and I just speak the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus and the life of God, the redemption of who you are over lives and marriages and homes and situations over our church, oh God. We return to you, oh God, tonight. We return to you, oh God. Forgive us when we've made it about us made it about our thing, made it about our stuff, even made it about our church, oh God. It's about you and your kingdom. We bless you tonight, oh God. We praise you. We give you glory, honor, praise. Come on, let's just sing praise and worship to him. Come on, just say we praise you, Lord. Come on. Come on, say that out loud. We praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. 